praise the Lord for this morning. It's a great day when your voice out here grows louder than the voices back here. Uh, when the worship fills the house in, in such a way that our choir, who has the, uh, the higher platform, who has an acoustic, you know, shell coming to, to, to carry the sound out here, who has these microphones, uh, is dwarfed by the sound of worship coming from those of you who are seated there in the congregation today. And I don't think, choir, I don't think you're insulted by that, are you? No. So praise the Lord for a great day of worship. God chooses to be with us on the Lord's day. And thanks uh, to him for moving in our midst. Uh, we've been talking about living an otherworldly life, living like we are saved. Uh, if in fact we are saved, and if in fact that is a reality, as Ephesians has so aptly shown to us, then we ought to be living as if it is so. And we ought to be living in the same measure to which it is so. And so how greatly has Christ saved us? Well, then how greatly, how great a difference ought there to be in our lives. The Bible has framed it in a few ways. As we've been in this walk through Ephesians together, it has told us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. The Bible has reminded Christians to be filled with the Holy Spirit of all the things in the world that could fill us, that could empower us and ignite us and be a source of life to us, to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible has told us to submit to one another out of the fear of Christ and in the background of all that, of walking worthy, of being filled with the Spirit, of submitting to one another out of the fear of Christ, we have looked uh, in this series at the family and how that mutual submission carries itself out in the household of, of believers, uh, in the families of Christians. I was at a ball game yesterday for the first time, the um, Gwinnett, what, Stripers, right, baseball game. I loved it, a, a, a great stadium down there, a lot of fun. But I got caught in one of these things, maybe, maybe you've done this before too, when you're walking and someone's coming right at you and you move and what? They move, right? And you move back and they move back. And, you know, usually this happens, you know, once, twice, ha-ha, it's a lot of fun, excuse me, and you go on. This happened to me six times in a row with the same person, you know. <laughs> it was like a black hole vortex that so we couldn't escape him. I just walked away disgusted with myself, you know, just like, you idiot, you know, just a big dummy. Um, but, but both of us were willing to yield to the other. We just got it mixed up. And when we talk about the concept of submission, we get hung up on this word as, as we've mentioned before. But really, there is a mutual submission shown here in the family of God. But when a wife is told to submit to the headship of her husband we get that but just a, a couple of, of words later the husband is told to render his life for his wife to love her as christ loved the church to be willing to empty it all for her good and for her need Friends, really there is a greater submission there. Yes, the wife submits to headship, but the husband submits it all as Christ did to love his church. In the household with children, we're shown the same thing. Last week we talked about children and the obedience to their parents. And certainly, that's a very strong word, 
stronger than submit. Uh, children, obey. Do as you're told. Come under their, com the command of your parents. But also, we're going to look here in verse 4 today, fathers or, or, or parents, we owe a duty of submission to the good of our children as well. And we're going to see this again next week played out too. Submit to whom? To one another out of the fear of Christ. That's what we're to do as believers. And so today we're looking at Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, and we'll be in one verse today, verse 4. Just one short passage together. So turn in your Bibles there if you will. If you don't have a Bible, these words will be on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible in your life, we don't want anyone leaving here today without a good, reliable copy of God's Word just for you. And we have those on the table in the back. You can't miss them as you leave. They're laid out there. No cost. Uh, just a gift from our heart to yours. If you need that, uh, don't you be afraid uh, to take one and, um, and use it, okay? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, let me just stop. Because the word here can be used of, of only fathers, pater, P-A-T-E-R, or it can be used of parents. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, it is used of the parents of Moses. This exact word, the, the, the scripture I read earlier, that long listing of faithful witnesses from Hebrews 11, it refers to the parents of Moses using the same word father here. And so we can see fathers here, and I think we can embrace parents here in this text as well. Fathers or parents, do not provoke. The word provoke is to stir up, to exasperate. Do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up, important words, raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. One more time, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what is in a parent's job description? We saw a child's is to obey. What is a parent's job description in the family? I think we see three sobering realities here, and we're going to look at them quickly this morning. The first is this. Parents have the power to crush their children. Parents, we have the power to crush our children. You think that's kind of a dark opening, right? That's a dark first point on a dark rainy day, uh, something we don't want to think about. But in the ancient world, this was especially true. It's still true in the modern world. In the ancient world, the father had absolute dictatorial power over his family. When a baby was born, the father, if he held the baby, if he turned toward the baby, the baby lived in the Roman world, in the, Ro in the world into which this is written. If, the, if he turned his back on the baby, the baby died. Uh, all along the, the children's life, they were utilities and utensils for the household. They were merely status symbols for the father. Uh, and the Apostle Paul writes into this type of a world, fathers, do not provoke, do not crush, don't stir up or exasperate your children to anger. And so this doesn't mean you'll never take an action that angers your children, does it? Anybody ever angered their children by doing something right? It, it doesn't mean you're, that your children are never going to be angry at you. And so it doesn't mean if you tell them no about something and they're angry, then you have violated uh, this, uh, this passage in Ephesians 6. Uh, it means don't needlessly stir up their anger. 
Don't poke the hornet's nest. Don't provoke them needlessly. Right? Don't, don't have this pattern in your life that, that drives them to wrath. And there are three important words I want us to look at uh, that kind of uh, paint this for us. It show us that this is not simply about making our kids angry. The first is this. It means to provoke, the word provoke, to stir up, to exasperate, to give the child no choice but to lash out in anger. Our little dog, Arthur, is very, very furry. Uh, and he has met at our new house two little weenie dogs across the street that he loves to go and visit. But in their yard, uh, there are these, I guess you call them burrs or, or little uh, things off of plants that get stuck all in his fur. And so the other day, he came home full of these things, and we were there you know, snipping at his fur, trying to get him out. The best-natured dog you've ever seen, or a friendly, lovable energy, all of this. But we snipped a little bit too close in one instance, and guess what he did? He turned that neck around and almost, you know, almost bit me because I had provoked him. You see that? Uh, to provoke a child is to take a, a, a good-natured child, and to do what it takes to, to push them in a corner until all of a sudden the worst nature has to come out. Do not provoke your children to wrath. The word wrath is important too. This is an expressed anger. It's not just an emotion of anger. Do not provoke your children to wrath. It doesn't mean don't make them feel angry. It means don't provoke them that they must behave, that they must behave angrily. And lastly, if you look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, there's a parallel passage, uh, exact parallel to this, and it drives home the point, don't do this or you will cause your children to lose heart or become disheartened. A pattern of provocation where all their good faculties, where all their best tools are useless to earn the affection, are, are hopeless to earn the love of mom and dad until they lash out in anger. It's all they have left. They're defeated. They're deflated. The Bible says, parents, fathers, if you do that, you may cause them to lose heart. And the word literally means without heat. That glow, the warmth and light that ought to be present in our lives slowly dies out. There's no more ebb, there's no more, no more burning. It goes to an ember and then it fizzles and it's dark and it's gone because of the attitude, because of what parents do. I went to my sweet wife, Erica, the other night. She called me and she had been out to get a milkshake with uh, another church member after a, a ladies ministry thing. And they went down to cook out and got a milkshake. And she called me, she said, I think I ran over something. I have a flat tire. Can you come down and bring your little plug-in kit? I have a little plug-in kit. Uh, and so I got my little plug-in kit, and I drove out to cook out here in Oakwood and got there and got down on the ground, and I saw that pretty soon I wasn't going to be able to plug the tire. There was a, a slash in it along the edge about that long. And I said, well, what, what happened here? And she said, I don't know what happened, you know. And so I happened to look over, and there's a pipe laying on the ground that just the size and shape of that of that, um, of that slip in a place, I might add, that you're not supposed to be driving. But anyway, um, <clears throat> this is what happens in this scenario here. 
And you might say, well, Matthew, this is not common anymore. And it certainly, it probably is not as common as the ancient world. Uh, sorry, I mean, that was, it was, the, the conditions there were, were awful. And that's why the Apostle Paul is writing to these new Gentile Christians again and saying, you don't be like them. They're like this. Now we're not quite so much like this. But listen, I think we may be surprised to know how common it is that a dad or a mom or a stepdad or an uncle or somebody of, of influence in the life of that child is backing them into a corner, is deliberately provoking and squashing them and crushing them down so they have no choice but to lash out in anger until they're like a, a, a tire that can no longer be plugged. It cannot be patched. The, the heat, the ember is not glowing. It's gone. The air, the spirit of that child has vacated and the gash is too big for anybody to come behind it and fix it that's the danger here we were at hurricane shoals just the other day one of my favorite places a little child i, I could tell these people were um had a problem by the way they talked to their children already but a little child a little cutest little child playing in the water walked over and kicked over i presume it's his mother's uh 20 ounce drink and you would not have believed the unleashing of profanity and shouting that came out of her. The worst things you can imagine. And she even said, you spilled my entire 20-ounce drink. Does that merit that? We do that. We can do that if we let our flesh get away with this. Christian parents have an obligation to be different, to be changed by the presence of the Holy Spirit and to be different than the world around us. Not to crush our children by being harsh with them, like that lady. Not to be constantly disinterested in them. Okay, okay. Not to be so demanding of them that they can never live up to those standards. Not to be unpleasable, and not to treat them as utilities and utensils for the life that we want, but to care for them. This involves giving them the care uh, just like Christ cared for us, and preserving him for his gladness and for his glory. It's not about you. It's not always easy and it's not always natural. But friends, we're citizens of another land, aren't we? We don't belong here and let our parenting show it. Parents have the power to crush their children. But secondly, parents have the duty to raise their children. What's the second part of our job description? We have the duty to raise our children. The word raise them up or, or bring them up in your Bible is not accidental. We use this very commonly. It's euphemistic. We, we think it just means you know, train them or whatever. But in the Bible, it, it literally meant to, to grow them out of something into adulthood. Uh, and the word here is the same as we talked about a couple weeks ago, the word nourish. And here was the implication. Remember, to, to provide food with the implication of a considerable period of time the relationship of a husband to his own body we nourish our own body the relationship of a husband to his wife we nourish them and this word bring them up is the exact same word we nourish our kids you ever look at pictures of your kids when they're little babies and then you see them now and you say what happened something went into them right you see dollars huge dollar signs right come up in your eyeballs my mom has a measuring stick at her house where we all go uh, probably about once a year and all the kids stand up against you know straight heels together no no shoes 
and she puts her head right here and her hand right here and, and goes back to the edge of that wall and marks it. You know, I have that in your house growing up as a child, maybe not a measuring stick, but just on the wall or on the doorpost. We have that. Last time we did it, you would not believe how much my kids had grown from, from one year before. And you think that was happening before our eyes. My mom loves to measure me still too, but she does it this way now. Instead of, uh, <laughs> she had to add another measuring uh, stick. Something's happened though, hasn't it? I mean, something, you have poured something into that vessel. You've poured food into there. You've poured medicine into there when it was called for. You've poured words and affection into there. Yes, you have poured money in there. And when they get older, you pour fuel and gasoline and insurance. And uh, you, you watch them grow. And the Bible's telling us here as parents, we are to see them up. We are to bring them up, to raise them up in a certain way. And what is it we are to nourish them with? The Bible tells us two things. We are, as Christian parents, to nourish our children, to pour into that vessel that is growing the discipline of the Lord for one. And the discipline here has an emphasis on consequences. Okay, uh, this is the same word Pontius Pilate used of Jesus when they called out crucify. And Pontius Pilate said, let me just discipline him and release him. Okay, isn't it enough that I just punish him in some way and release him to you? This Bible is used elsewhere in the New Testament to describe how God relates to his children. Those he loves, the Bible says, he chastens. You know what chasten means? And so the discipline here. Uh, means all that you might imagine, but also with an emphasis on correction and on consequence. Parents, we have a duty here in raising up our children to nourish them with the discipline of the Lord. That means we put, we put boundaries and bumpers in place. We say this far and no further, and then after that, there is a consequence. We say these are the ways of Yahweh. This is what God says. And when they're too young yet, on their own to, to motivate themselves to do it, we provide that discipline for them. That's part of what we nourish them with, but also we nourish them with instruction. That's teaching. And that doesn't happen on its own, dads. It doesn't happen on its own, moms. We have to teach them. We have to tell them about the things of God. We, we provide the discipline. We provide the instruction. And it's important that we notice here to whom this command is issued, it's issued to parents, not to the church. Now, let the church, let the church do it. Let the church partner with you. But too many times we are tempted to farm this out to the church or to sign them up for the Christian school and think they'll take care of it. They'll take care of it. I don't have to fool with it. No, parents, that's our job to do. Parents have the duty to raise up their children in a world that throws everything at parents to entice us to give our time, to entice us to give our attention, uh, to, to entice us to give our deliberateness to anything else other than our kids. Everything else makes us feel more important. Everything else is, is so attractive to the eye to make us feel more fulfilled. Uh, every dollar, every career, every possession is put before our eyes to draw us to it. In a world that wants us to give ourselves to anything but our kids, it is God who wants his people to stay focused on the first priority he's trusted to us, and that is our kids. 
his kids. Parents, we have a duty to raise our children. But lastly, parents, we have the trust to shape our children. The Bible says here we're to raise them up. We got that. We're not to provoke them. We got that. This is to be done in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And that's the important phrase at the very end of this. This is to be of the Lord. What shape shall our families take? About what shall we instruct and discipline our children? The ways of the Lord, the changeless ways of Yahweh God, the eternal ways of God, the wisdom that never dies. It's never altered by time or age or distance. Uh, these are the things of God. If you've never noticed, we say things differently in the South. Anybody ever noticed that? Anybody ever had a visitor from somewhere else? They say things wrong, right? Uh, we say things right. Uh, anybody ever heard somebody say fireflies? And you say, no, they're what? Lightning, Lightning bugs. Praise God, right? <laughs> anybody in here say fireflies? That's your go-to? Sir, you are dismissed. Uh, you can... <laughs> We say lightning bugs, don't we? Right? That's the right way to say it. In the, in the South, that's what we do. Uh, anybody say, I'd love to have a soda today? What do we say? Coke. It don't matter if it's Sprite or Dr. Pepper. It's Mountain Dew. It's all a Coke, and we know it to be true, right? That's in the last chapter of Revelation. Um, <laughs> what do you call those little, little gray bugs that curl up? Roly-poly, right? That's exactly what they are. We've got a strange way of saying things different in the South. We were at a, a gathering not too long ago. Reese and Olivia were with me, and uh, it was, they were taking some pictures there, and we were standing watching, and uh, one of the, the groomsmen said, Hey, listen, everybody be careful. There's an ant pile right here. He said, Right, right here it is. Don't, don't get in it. There's an ant pile. Reese looked at me with a, 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 just an expression of disgust of personal offense, and he said, city boy, right? <laughs> what is it? Ant Hill, right? And we know that to be true. <laughs> we have a way of saying things, and we take the shape of those that we learn them from, right? Why do I say lightning bud? That's, that's what my parents, my uncles, my aunts, or cousins, that's what they said, right? We take on the shape of those who are shaping us we get that discipline admonition right uh discipline and i said admonition but it's instruction discipline and instruction we get that and if you look around christian churches I, i'm i'm sorry to say it but christian churches all over today you will clearly see evidence that parents do in fact understand the concept of discipline and of instruction in athletics. You can see it. You can see the kids improving and performing. You can see their absence on Sundays, the Lord's Day. You know where they're at. You can see them getting bigger and better. On, on Facebook, you'll see the awards day. Look, here's my award. That does not happen by accident. It happens by mom and dad emphasizing it when they say, I don't want to get up and go to practice. Discipline and instruction. We get it. Christians get it. 
when it comes to athletics. We get it when it comes to academics. I want my kid to be the best and the brightest. We know what to do. Discipline and instruction, Christians all over our land. You can just look in, the, you can just look in churches and say, oh, there's evidence of it right there. They, they do get it. You can see that happening every day. You can see it happening with other interests as well. We get it. We just many times fail to do it about the Lord. The discipline and the instruction, it doesn't stop there. This is the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Is there anything wrong with athletics? No. Is there anything wrong with academics? No, there's not. Is there anything wrong with other interests? No, there's not. But there is something wrong when those areas of our lives are so robust, when the evidence of discipline and instruction, I mean, are so evident, it's happening. But when it comes to the matters of the Lord, it's vacant. Or when it comes to those other matters that we so easily are able to just eclipse the things of God to focus on those other things. We get it, guys. We know what to do. We've just got to do it about the Lord. And I might add this. If you're, if you're, if you're wanting to test yourself about, or am I raising my kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, then it's probably important to see what you're doing on the Lord's day. How quickly are we able to say, well, we had this tournament, or well, we, we had this thing, or well, we had to go here, or the coach called there, and, and, and one, two, three weeks are gone, gone on the Lord's day. There's something called four-generation fade I want to show you here on the screen. Um, I found this very interesting. Christian sociologists have come up with this. It's called the four-generation fade. The first uh, step of this is that parents... Don't make church a high priority for their kids. You know how that goes. We've seen that. All right, so it's, it's in there. It's, it's, the, it's in the mix. It's in the recipe, but it's not a high priority. It's one of the things we do, and we do sometimes. And, uh, and the second step is kids grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids. And they're there here a couple times here or there, and they know what VBS is, and they've been to a funeral and a wedding. They know it. But it's not a priority. It's less of a priority than, the, than their parents had. Those kids grow up and make it no priority, zero priority for their kids. And it is those who are the kids who grow up with zero concept of God. You know what this means? That this distance between step one and step four is the distance between a, a great-grandparent and a great-grandchild. That means those of us today who are parents who decide we're going to make church a low priority for our families. We may live in our lifetimes to see great-grandchildren who have no concept of God, none, not a little, because of this. We are to raise our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Well, my coworkers go here and there. They keep the boat down at the marina, and on Sundays, and they've invited, and my kids are, other kids are having these experiences, and, you know, I want the same for my kids. Listen, if we're always wanting the same for our kids as we see in a lost world, what's happening? We don't want the same for our kids. 
We don't want sameness with them. What we do want is for them to see the difference and the glowing ember of the gospel and the newness of life that God has given to us and say, I want some of that. Instead, we find ourselves saying, we want some of that. And it shows. It shows in Christian churches and Christian families all over the place. What are you doing on the Lord's day? What are you doing every other day? The question is this, parents, are we providing that mold of godliness for our children to take shape in? Are you teaching dads? Are you showing moms? Are you placing barriers and boundaries? Are you willing to discipline and to guide so that when they emerge out from under our care, they are not far from the things of God? They have him, they know him, and they're growing under his command. In Jeremiah chapter 6, it's one of my favorite passages. It's very powerful. It says this, the Lord has, has just, I mean, just proclaimed judgment on the people of God. But he says this, he offers this, this way, this way back. In chapter 6, verse 16, he says, thus says the Lord, stand by the crossroads and look. Imagine yourself standing there, the four-way of the crossroads. And ask for the ancient paths. God, which way should we go? Uh, what are your ways, God? What are your timeless ancient ways? Ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it Christians we can't afford to say that that's not ours to say and it's especially so when it comes to our families this is a short but powerful job description it is contrary to our flesh it is contrary to our world but it comes with the power of God to live a remade life will you live for it will you live for the Lord you'll never be able to do this for anybody if the saving power of Christ is not first a reality in your own life. And so today as we conclude, let me just ask you this. Do you need to do business with God over these matters? We've all made mistakes. I'm not here to judge you or to look at you funny. But I am here, hopefully under God, to, to open up his word and to let it speak to us today. Do you need to do business about how you're leading your family, your job description, your submission under the headship of Christ. And maybe today you say, Matthew, I, I have no power to do this because Christ does not live in me. I could never do this in my household. Maybe you'd come to the altar of salvation today. It rests here open, absolutely open to you with a Savior with an extended arm to receive you into his care, into forgiveness, into eternal life. Let him change you today. Let's pray. Just a moment, I would love to offer you a time of response. And if for some reason you need to come to the Lord today, you do that. It may have nothing to do with what we've talked about today, a very unique subject, a very targeted subject. You might say, I need to come to God for something else. Well, you come right on. We're here for that. We'll stand beside you and celebrate with you. If you need to come for salvation, 
Listen, we will, we will rejoice in what God's done in your life. He delights to shower you with forgiveness from sin, to showcase his mercy in drawing into his own family the worst of us. He'll do it today. Do you need to come and just pour your heart out to God over missed opportunities with your kids? They're grown now. That part's over. But God, is there redemption for me? You bet there's redemption. Oh, you, you bet God can set your feet upon a rock on this day. You bet he can mend the brokenness that you thought were going to be open wounds for the rest of your kids' days. He can do it right here. Maybe you'd come to him, confess to him, tell him of your need. Maybe you come for baptism or church membership today. However the Lord has spoken, listen, you don't fail to respond. Lord, we thank you for the word of God and for trusting it to us on this good day. I pray that sometimes when your word is even extra heavy, God, that we would not shun it, that we would not set it out and push it aside, but we would know that the words you have for us, even the chastening you have for us, is out of a deep heart of love and a desire to fully restore. And we praise God that through Jesus, you have the power to do that. Thank you, God. Thank you. For those who need to make a decision today or even privately do business right where they are at, give them the courage to do it, Lord, and give them the full assurance of your presence and salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. And as we do, I invite you to come.